All right. Good morning, Freedom Church. How are y'all doing today? Awesome, awesome. How many of you guys are thankful for all of the rain that we finally got over the past couple of days? Yeah? So maybe we can actually go out and shoot awesome fireworks and, you know, minimize the chance we're going to burn down the neighborhood. But we get to do that now because we got some rain, right? Awesome. Well, if you don't know me, my name is Pastor Wes. I'm the Next Steps Pastor here at uh, Freedom Church. And uh, before I go too far into the sermon, I want to pay honor to Pastor Terrell. So, there is a lot of responsibility attached to this stage up here. It doesn't seem like it, but when the Holy Spirit gives someone a word to give to the church, they're not just giving it to a person's church. This is not any one man's church. This is God's church. So there's a big responsibility for it. And Pastor T has been on up here time and time again, giving us messages in tough seasons, not only in our lives, but sort of in the lives, in the lives of society around us, we see it. So there's those times when you get that message up here and you're dealing with something and it feels so on the nose, like they wrote it for you and you were here at the right moment, at the right time to hear that certain thing. Sometimes it's totally off of what's been prepared, but it's what the Holy Spirit put on their heart. Well, that's, that's the responsibility and you have to get up here and you have to bring it well. So I, I thank Pastor T for trusting me with that responsibility for today to bring to you a message the Holy Spirit has given me. So over the past several weeks, we have spent quite a bit of time unpacking each of the Ten Commandments. And we've been here for a while, and so one thing that we're doing is that we want to look at these. While they can all individually be a sermon series by themselves, we can really unpack them. We wanted to take these and look at them as a whole just to start to understand some of the importance behind each, some of the nuance in there. On week one, Pastor T kicks off this entire series with no second place, which is the commandment, you must not have any other God before me. Week two, Pastor Adam brought a message called the idols we make, which talk, which talk to you must not make for your, yourself an idol of any kind. Now, when we were looking at some of these, and again, this is where some of that nuance starts to come in. This isn't, you know, we're thinking an idol, sure, a little carved wooden trinket or whatever that we put up on a mantle and we pay homage to and we pray to and we worship. But what we discovered in this one is that it can be as simple as your phone, dragging your attention from your family, from God, from the things that are important that God wants you to be doing in your life. It could be anything. What, what is that? Is it sports? So actually starting to unpack these things, we start to see how deep these things can go, how nuanced that they can be. On week three, Pastor T returned with God's good name, so uh, you must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Week four, we continued with God's holy day, which for the commandment of uh, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. The reason that there's a day in there for that is a day of rest. This is biblical. It's really, really easy to get stuck into the day by day. Gotta work, gotta work, gotta work. And to ignore the fact that God called us to do this. And it's very important. Again, a lot of that nuance that we can miss. Week five on Father's Day, Pastor T was joined up here by his youngest daughter, Chloe, and they, they brought a, uh, a sermon called Honor, which is Honor Thy Father and Thy Mother. And this is the thing. This, this, is, this is really interesting. We didn't plan honor your father and mother to be on Father's Day. So as we're planning these, we're planning the beginning of the year, we just know roughly what, what subjects we want to cover. We definitely wanted to go back to the roots, talk about the Ten Commandments. Just, it, it's a good thing to know. It's a good thing to unpack. You can tell God's all over this because Father's Day, uh, honor your father and mother, worked out really, really well. And just having the synergy that uh, Chloe, someone who has known Pastor T her entire life, 
Those two up here just bringing the wisdom and bringing God's word. And I was blessed just to be able to hear that. Uh, on week six, which was last week, Pastor T brought the title, No More Murder, which was, You Must Not Commit Murder. And while he was up here, one of the things, if you were, if you were here, you saw him rip open these pillows and put feathers up here. Each one of the feather, feathers uh, representing words that as soon as they come out, we don't know where they're going to go. And it was kind of funny when he told me that he came to me before the sermon. He's like, hey, I have an illustration. When I'm talking about this, I'm going to put some feathers on the stage. I want you to have a team ready so we can come out there and clean them up. Just turn it around for second service. Yeah, pastor, no problem. We'll get some, we'll get some people. I got like one or two people. I was expecting feathers, not feathers as far as the stage is wide all over the place. And we're sitting there trying to sweep it fast. If you sweep feathers fast, they go everywhere. So we can't clean it fast, but we have to clean it fast. They're floating in air. You can see them in the lights. And we're going to be finding feathers in this building for probably the rest of the year. But hey, that's okay. Because when you see one, just go ahead and pick it up. It's like, ah, words matter. And you can put that in your pocket, your Bible. You can help us clean up by taking it to the trash can with you. But it's just a quick reminder throughout the year. Maybe, maybe that's a God thing, right? So, uh, so this is certainly a marathon of a series. So we are on the home stretch. We are around the corner. You know, there's, there's 10 of them. We're on number seven right now. So, but I can honestly say that I've enjoyed hearing the wisdom that has been prepared for each and every one of these sermons. So, and if you're new here, or if you missed a couple of the sermons, I invite you, Pastor Adam talked about our Church Center app. Our sermons are on Church Center. Another thing you can do is you can follow us on YouTube. You can subscribe to our channel. It's Freedom Church TN, not 10, TN. And you can go on there, all of our catalogs, back, uh, back sermons with this series in particular, you can all the way up to, to today, so you can get caught up with this. Uh, today's will be on here today, so it'll actually work out really good for you if you just want to listen to it again. But yeah, go check it out. Lots of wisdom, years worth of content. You can listen to it on your way to work. You can listen to it while you're at work. God's word never gets old. So you can hear it at any point in your life, and I, I promise you, you'll be blessed by partaking in that. A little bit of a shameless plug, but I really feel like it'll benefit your life. So, all right, if you are keeping score, like I said, we are on uh, number seven of the Ten Commandments, which is uh, adultery. So, as Exodus 20, verse 14 puts it, you must not commit adultery. So, a bit of a funny observation I had as I was preparing and studying for this sermon is that uh, the last time I was on this stage to share a message with everyone, it was during our Sex Wars series. And it was kind of cool, you know, we had the Star Wars graphic back here. I think I preached in a Star Wars shirt because I'm owning this thing. And we even got to, we got permission to get lightsabers and dress up like Jedi and Sith and do a video and duel. And we had it as a sermon intro video and we put it on social media. I think we boosted it. I was living the dream. I mean, it was low buck star, uh, George Lucas, but we we're making this thing happen. But I had to sit up here and I had to preach on sexual sin. So, you know, it was a necessary thing, it was a good thing. I know it was a blessing for people's lives, but it was preaching on sexual sin. Fast forward to today, preaching on sexual sin. So here we are, we're going to own it, but hey, the next time you see me up here, don't run away thinking you're going to hear it again because of a really good vantage point of all the doors, and I'm probably going to call you out, but don't worry, I, I'm not that guy, and it was just the luck of the draw, pure and simple, so this is, we are what we are, you know, right? So if I'm showing my hand a little, I wanted to break the ice a little bit, trying to, trying to bring in a little bit of humor because, uh, let's be honest, no one wants to talk about adultery at all. It hits us on such a personal level. We want to kind of stay away from it. It's a tough subject to even bring up, let alone in a church. The Ten Commandments 
all of them at the surface level are pretty straightforward statements. They're statements that we can quickly read and we can sort of digest and we can just as quickly catalog them in our brains, never to be seen or heard from again, unless, you know, maybe we do like a church thing as a competition. Do you know the fifth commandment? Raise your hand. Yay. And then you follow them back away for the next little competition. It's, it, they're so common sense and there's enough of them and they're fairly short. We just follow them away and we don't give them a second thought. As we started to unpack them over the past several weeks, however, we all saw just how deep each and every one of these can go. There's nuances, right? There's things that, from the surface level, one sentence telling you to do actually have major implications on our life. See, God knew exactly what he was doing when he gave them to Moses. They have real meaning and they have real implications on our lives. So over the past few weeks, I think we're all, to be honest, uh, there were likely a few tense or awkward moments. We began to see the commandments as what they truly were, as what they, what they actually mean in our lives, how far they can actually penetrate, not just surface level, but in all aspects of our life. And we began to see that maybe, perhaps, we were missing the mark. There are certain things in our lives that, yeah, we're doing pretty good and we're very excited about it, but there's a few things we're, we're just not there yet. We're not missing the mark. But it was okay because it gave us something to sort of correct the course a little bit. Adultery, as we will see, is no different. It's so awkward because, like I said before, it hits on such personal territory. It goes to the heart of who we are. It plays on emotion. It plays on desires. It plays on so many different things. Nobody, when they're a kid, when asked... What do you want to be when you grow up? As they're rattling off the list, I want to be president. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a nurse. I'm going to be a fighter fighter. I'm going to be Batman. Adultery never once ever makes that list, ever, ever. No one wants to do that. Even if you have never been to church before, this is kind of your first time here. You're trying out these things. From just a cultural, moral standpoint, even as a child, even if you weren't in church and someone was telling you this, you just knew that's a bad thing. I don't want to do that thing. Because, again, it was just wrong. And you understood that at a very fundamental level. So why then, if it makes such sense, and it's so simple, does God choose to make it, make it a commandment? Because it can happen when you least expect it. And you can convince yourself in the moment that it's okay. He knows how we think. He knows the strength that this temptation can have on our bodies. Or on our bodies. And it's something that he chose to give it to the people of Israel to remember. It's something to, as they get off path, as they're walking towards God and something distracts them and pulls them away, they have something pointing them true north that they can correct course and they can continue to walk towards. Adultery is inherently secretive. It's something that happens in the shadows as lustful thoughts begin to creep in and push out our rational thoughts. The things that we know are wrong, it has that temptation to do. It'll pull you further and further into darkness as you continue to pursue because those sexual draws on our body are so incredibly strong. Paul actually speaks to that trap in his first letter to the people at Corinth. So let's check out 1 Corinthians 6.13. You say food for the stomach and stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So if we jump down to 18 through 20, we see this. Flee from sexual immorality. 
All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Warnings against adultery are found all throughout the Bible, cover to cover. There's lots of warnings in there. I think that in and of itself is cause, for a, a, cause enough for us to pay attention, for us to really see the dangers that this thing has. If we look into the Old Testament in Proverbs 6, 30-32, Solomon is writing a letter to his son, and he's writing to him in very, very plain English because he doesn't want him to miss the point. He doesn't want him to read this and misconstrue what he's saying to mean something else. He speaks very plainly. So let's check it out. Excuses might be found for a thief who steals because he is starving. But if he is caught, he must pay back seven times what he stole, even if he has to sell everything in his house. But the man who commits adultery is an utter fool, for he destroys himself. These two examples are warnings Plain and simple. But because they're a warning, they're speaking to the individual in hopes that you would see the error in your ways and not go down that path. You would understand the hurt before it ever happens and you would leave it alone. But one thing to remember about adultery is there is always bold, italicized, underscore, always collateral damage. Understand, this doesn't just happen to you. This is not a victimless sin and the repercussions can be felt by many and for a very long time. With the amount of people joining us here today, and those of you joining us online as well, I don't believe it's too far of a leap that someone has either been impacted by uh, the adulterous acts of someone whom they trusted or have perhaps succumbed to the temptation yourself. As I was thinking about that and the realization came to me, I decided to you know, try to see if I can look up a little bit of stats on this just to, find, just to really understand just where we were. I had an idea but my idea was based on nothing other than an assumption. And so as I'm looking, I discovered that there are actually several, several studies. And the numbers are all over the place, but they're really close together and they're all pretty high. That's the one thing that I found. So as I'm looking at this with the American Association for Family and Marriage, they stated that 25% of men committed adultery. 15% of women also did the same thing. Now... One thing that they did point out is that there is a caveat to these results. If you include the relationships that are emotional, sexual, but not necessarily intercourse-based relationships, both categories jump up 20%. So suddenly, you're looking at 45% of men, 35% of women. Add those things together. It's half the country. That's how bad it is. I didn't realize how far it had actually gone into society, but it's a very big thing. It's a very big deal. And it's a good thing that we're having the opportunity to unpack some of these commandments to try and arm ourselves against these attacks. Each one of these interactions, like I mentioned earlier, had husbands, wives, kids. And again, it goes very far and it gets messy really fast. Some of you have probably unfortunately had the opportunity to experience just how bad it can be. And for that, I am very sorry. If you're here watching online and you had a loved one betray you in that manner, I know that you can be stu stuck in a thought cycle of, 
I'm unlovable. The reason it fell apart was because of me. I don't need anyone. I don't deserve anything other than the pain and the suffering that I feel because, again, I'm unlovable. I need you to lean in, and I need you to pay attention to me really, really close. There is no man or woman on the face of this planet or that has ever been on the face of this planet, little marble floating through, the, the, through space that can determine your worth. Nobody. There's nobody now or will ever be anybody on this planet that can determine your worth. You hold such a high value to the God of the universe that he gave his one and only son just so that he can spend eternity with you forever. That is how much value that you have. This world can provide painful experiences for each and every one of us. And no doubt, in a room this size, with this many people, we have experienced some of that pain. Some of us may be experiencing some of the pain right now. But understand this, despite what it has to throw at you, you are beautiful in God's eyes. You were bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. That is how much you matter. You are beyond valuable and never, ever forget this truth. Today, there are likely people hearing this, and you've felt the tug of temptation. In this day and age, in the corporate environment especially, you spend more time with the people that you work with than you do with the people that you chose to spend your life with. And suddenly, because of that, that quick glance, that smile from that coworker seems a little bit more exciting than the Lego that you stepped on because you showed up from home, home from work late, and the dinner's cold, and the kids are screaming, and the wife's mad at you. Suddenly, you start to look elsewhere. But listen to me. When you see, what you're seeing when you're away, that thing that seemingly fills that longing in your heart, lyingly fills that longing in your heart, understand this, that's called bait. And the enemy wants you to grab it. He wants you to take it and run because he wants to destroy you. He hates you. Plain and simple, the enemy hates you. You have something that he never will ever be able to have. So what are some things that we can do to overcome or outright avoid the traps that the enemy has laid in front of us? I do have a few things for you. Number one, guard your thoughts. You know how you think. You know the things that draw your attention. Studying God's word, making it a part of who you are, making it sink down into the core of your very being will allow you to, when these temptations come up and you register, you have to be aware of your thoughts and you register that in your mind, The word of God comes up. The armor of God shows itself to protect you, but you have to have his word written on your heart. It will will reject all the attacks of the enemy because suddenly in his name, the enemy flees. So you have to have his word written on your heart. Now, if you're not in the Bible, if you're not in God's word, it's a a daunting thing to jump into. The Bible is a pretty big book with really small writing. It takes a minute, but we can help you there. Because we're a church family, we want to help each other grow. Over here at the Next Steps area, we actually have signage over there now. You can find it. It's the corner over here next to the coffee shop, and I know you know where the coffee shop's at. We actually have a Bible reading plan that's over there. It's really good. Uh, it doesn't go necessarily uh, from Genesis to Revelation, and you're just trying to you know, cram away pages. It breaks it down to subject matter, and it's really easy to follow. You just have to have a plan sometimes. 
So head over there and grab you one. If you're into gaming, it's basically a strategy guide for life. So grab you one, check it out, jump into the word. And I promise you that when these attacks are coming and you have God's word on your back, you're going to be able to fight these things off. Number two, build in accountability. A Christian brother or sister in your corner is a fantastic thing to have. Uh, Pastor T calls these your 2 a.m. friends. Basically, it's friends you can call at any moment if you have issues and they want you to call, they, they want you to call them. They're not going to be upset. They're not going to be mad that you're calling them at 2 o'clock in the morning because their only ulterior motive is to make sure that you're healthy, to make sure that you're doing things right, to make sure that you're not doing anything that's going to self-destruct you or your relationships with your family. So when you're having these troubles, you can call them up. Hey, I'm struggling with this. I need help. No problem. Let's talk about it. Let's break out the word. Let's get into this. I'm going to make sure that you're not hurting yourself. I'll make sure that you're not hurting your family. That's what these people are for. A great place to meet these kind of friends are connection groups. Again, more shameless plugs. Got a bunch of them. But the connection groups are where you're going to meet those Christian brothers or sisters that just love you. And they're going to be the ones that are going to be there to study with you. So you're also writing God's word in your heart. And you're going to grow to be as close to these people as family. But this is a really good thing to have. Even if you're new here and you're trying this Christianity thing out, if that sounds like something that you want, you want someone like that in your corner, check out the connection groups. We're on the forefront of redoing our entire groups. We're going to make them more robust. We're going to have more options. We're going to be rolling those out next week. So definitely check them out. If you're interested, grab one of those connection cards that Pastor Adam talked about. Fill it out, mark connection group, and drop it in the offering on your way out. We're going to be in touch with you. We want to get you plugged in. We want to help you. We want you to stay successful, be healthy. Number three, remove temptation. To put it another way, set up guardrails. As you're driving down the road, you see them all over the place. Guardrails are set so that if something unexpected happens, you have a blowout, you hide your plane, you hit ice, you hit a patch of gravel, insert reason here, anything that causes you to lose control of your vehicle is going to keep you from going too far. It's going to keep you from going off the edge and hurting yourself or hurting others. You can actually set these up in your life as well, in your relationships. We actually do something like that here at the church. Anytime that there is a, uh, a time where I have to meet with someone of the opposite sex or anybody here on staff that has to meet with anybody of the opposite sex, open door meeting only. It builds an accountability. If it needs to be a closed door meeting, because I understand there are uh, touchy subjects, there are things that need to stay in confidence. In the business world, that has to happen. Sometimes closed door meetings are just necessary Bring in a third party. They're just there to, you know, help hold everybody accountable. If you need to, throw a notebook in their hand. They can take notes. And it's like win-win. You're getting all kinds of stuff taken care of. But the same applies for trips, car rides. We're just trying to make sure that we're removing all temptations, staying above reproach and leading by example. That's all we're trying to do. Now, it, it may seem a little invasive. It may seem a little much. But understand that a lot of these interactions happen very innocently enough. None of these start right out of the gate trying to head off. It, a lot of it starts with a smile. A lot of it starts with a friendly face. Build in guardrails in your life. It's like what Paul said, remember? Flee from sexual immorality. That's what we're to do. Number four, counseling. You said I do when you made the decision to spend the rest of your life with them. You were deeply in love with them and you were captured by the heart. All of that's still there. Sure, Sometimes it can be buried behind dirty diapers and PTA meetings and messy hair because you had no sleep because it was a screaming kid. 
Uh, again, the Lego that you step on, it's like a minefield. It can be buried behind all that stuff, but it is still there. The dangerous part of all these distractions is when they start to cause you to look to the left or to the right. Listen to me closely. There is no shame in counseling, but it does require you to realize that you have hit that point in your relationship and to be honest with one another about that. Counseling is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. It's not a silver bullet that's going to fix it immediately. But if you work the process, if you're intentional with what you do, it can restore that relationship that you once have. But it will oftentimes make you stronger because you have fought something together as a couple. You fought the enemy trying to rip your relationship apart and you won and you're stronger. But you have to stay the course. You have to work the process. This commandment, though, it's like many of the others. It does have a perceived shady middle ground. We do our best to exploit it because as human beings, we want to feel like we're doing the right thing, but we don't want the restrictions. We don't want someone to tell us, you don't do that thing. It's like, I won't do that thing, but I'm going to do this thing that's right next to it, and it's going to be totally fine. We want to convince ourselves because we don't want to feel like we're the bad guy. We don't want to feel like we're the ones who's causing the issues. So we start creating in our mind these, these uh, ways to get around certain things. I've heard, have you ever heard it said, you can look, just don't touch? How many of you ever heard that? That's disgusting, isn't it? So, remember that trap that I was talking about earlier? That's that right there. Actually, in Matthew 5, 28, Jesus addresses just this. Let's get into it. I mean, I like Jesus, you know? He has so much wisdom. So let's jump into this. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He's cutting them off at the chase. Don't find the shady middle ground. It will destroy you. Jesus knows us, he knows how we think, and he knows that this path will ultimately destroy us. When you, loved at, when you lust after someone, you've essentially turned them into an object in your mind. You removed their, their whole say in the matter. They don't get a chance to because it's your, in your mind. And then you start following that lust, and that lust opens the door to pornography. Then you can get addicted to the pornography. And then that can ruin the way that you see relationships for the rest of your life. No longer do you see sexual health or healthy sexual relationships for what they are. Suddenly, they're not fun enough. Suddenly, they're not extreme enough. Suddenly, it, it'll just ruin the way that you see that, and it will hurt all of your future relationships. It may have the illusion of being harmless on the surface, but it can leave some lasting scars. And that's one of the things that Jesus is trying to take us away from. In this church... We never want to be considered a museum for saints. If we ever do that, we have 100% fallen off mission. And I think that all the leaders here and all the pastors here would be honest with you enough if we ever got that. But that's not where we are. We're chasing after Jesus with everything we got. This is to be a hospital for the broken, for the hurting. Because this is a sin that creates plenty of that on both sides want to be there for you. On the one hand, you have the unsuspecting spouse who finds out that the one that they trusted the most betrayed them. And on the other, you have the person who fell into the trap and is now filled with the regret of their decisions. And they're having to own that. See, our actions have consequences to it. And consequences that we're going to have to deal with. I mean, this is still the world that we live in, and we are still responsible for our own actions. And this sin has the potential for two victories to the enemy in your life. 
The first victory is getting you to fall into the sin itself, to get you to trip and to fall as you're chasing after Jesus. The second victory is arguably the worst. It's the one that convinces you to stay there. You're too dirty. I can't believe that you did that. You need to stay right there. Jesus wants nothing. To, don't chase after him. He wants nothing to do with you. That's the second victory. When he, convinces you, when he convinces you that he's right. Here's the thing about that second victory. It is simply a lie. There's actually an interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees in the book of John where they bring an adulterous woman to him. He's in the middle of teaching. He's bringing the word straight from the source. And uh, the Pharisees interrupt, bringing this woman that they caught in the act of adultery. Throw her at the ground. And they demand he speak on the fact that she has to be stoned to death for what she did. She broke the law of Moses. They wanted to kill Jesus. And this was a way that they could trap him. Because surely he's not going to let them just kill this woman. He's going to say something. He's going to break the law of Moses. And then he's going to be put to death himself. Jesus is a wealth of wisdom. Let's check out, starting in verse 7. They kept demanding an answer, so he stooped, or so he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Jesus himself, knowing what she did, didn't condemn her. He simply told her to go and sin no more. Now, that phrase can mean two radically different things, depending on if you actually know him or not, if you're truly following him, if you know him, if you know his will, if you know his heart, that can mean two different things. Some choose the route of seclusion. You choose to stay away from the people who hurt you. You know what they're saying. Word travels fast. There are rumors. There are glances. There are sneers. And you can't escape it. You've ruined your life. And it's traveled very far because word goes pretty quick and usually gets worse ear by ear. So you just choose the route of seclusion. You're too ashamed. But like I said earlier, in this world, we have consequences to our actions. But our consequences aren't the diminishment of our worth in the eyes of Jesus. So what does it look like when Jesus steps into the equation? In John chapter 4, we meet a Samaritan woman at the well who is living with some overcoming grief and despair and just bitterness in her heart. And when we see her, she's at noon, which is significant because in that day and time, the women were responsible for going to the well to get to the well to get the water for the day. And so she goes there at noon because typically what happens is they would go there in the morning. Again, Middle East desert, very hot. You don't want to burn up. And there's typically a, a fair walk to the well outside of the city walls. So you go, she's going there to avoid the glances, the rumors, the sneers, the angry people that she's likely going to encounter there. So when instead, 
He endures physical hardship. She endures pain and suffering because it's just easier because those words sting so much. And Jesus meets her, asks if she can draw him some water because, again, middle of the day, they're the only two there. It's very hot. They proceed to have a conversation. He explains to her about living water, alluding to who he was, trying to pique her interest. And um, let's pick this up in verse 13. Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. She doesn't want to have to suffer anymore. Please give me this water. I don't want to have to endure the pain. I don't want to have to endure the heat. I don't want to have to endure that walk by myself because I have no friends, have no one to get my back. She's eager for that. Give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to get water. Verse 16. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands and you are even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. Her interest is piqued. Who is this man that knows about me? So she tests him a little bit. Verse 20. So tell me. Why is it that you Jews insist in Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it's here on Mount Gerizim? Where are our ancestors worship? Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. For God is spirit, so worship Him. So, who who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, "I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When He comes, He will explain everything to us." Then Jesus told her, "I am the Messiah." Jump into verse twenty-eight. The woman left her water jar beside the well. That's important. She left her water jar beside the well because that is the thing that was holding her back. That is the thing that's representing all of the pain that she had, all the suffering that she felt, the lack of joy that she had, the thing that was holding her down. She left it there at the well right where she met Jesus because she didn't have to carry it. That wasn't hers anymore. So she leaves it at the well. She ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. This was a woman who had given up everything. All hope for joy, all hope for peace. She was just simply existing day by day until she met Jesus, the Messiah, face to face. Suddenly it didn't matter what other people were saying. Because she left that guilt and regret there at the well. And she was going to the very people she was trying to avoid. You have to come meet this man named Jesus. He knows everything about me. And they stream from the village because they know her. What is she talking about? And they come to know Jesus and be saved. All because she gave everything she ever was to him. One thing that's important to note about this Samaritan woman, other than 
the one sin of her living with someone outside of wedlock. It doesn't go into a lot of detail about the other people she was with. We know of the five. We don't know how they ended. We don't know if it was because of a decision that she made. We don't know if it's because of a decision that somebody else made. All we know is that she was living in sin, utterly broken, all hope gone, just existing, wondering what it all meant. Getting water because it needs it, it, it's life. But she didn't know that the true source of life was going to be waiting there that day. His name is Jesus. You see, when this man Jesus enters into the, into the equation, everything changes. He knows your history, but he also knows your worth. On both sides, catch me on this, on both sides of this situation. The one that committed the sin and the ones that were left wondering what just happened. If you can, please bow your heads. For those of you joining online, I invite you to join us as well. It's no secret that this is an uncomfortable thing to talk about. Perhaps it's really tough to talk about the thing that you personally did. You betrayed trust. You hurt your family. And you're having to deal with that. And it's really, really hard to bring it up. For others, maybe it's hard to confront the painful act that your spouse put you and your family through. We talked about this earlier. It doesn't change your worth in God's eyes. You are absolutely precious to Him. Father, this is something that impacts so many people in this country. It's a trap that preys on our minds and it causes so many people to trip and to fall and to hurt loved ones in the process. Lord, I pray for a renewed strength and confronting the attacks that the enemy throws our direction. When the sinful impulses attack our bodies and minds, Lord, I pray for renewed strength to overcome that your word will create a peaceful barrier between them and the world so we can only see you. For those who have been hurt by this very personal act, Father, I pray that you pour into them a sense of peace and overwhelming sense of joy. This act is on such a personal level that it makes it almost impossible to trust in you. But Lord, we know that you can restore and turn all situations for your glory, and we claim that in this place today. Keep praying today without looking around. I think there are those of us that would acknowledge honestly that you don't know God personally. You don't know where you stand with Him. Maybe you've been going through all the steps. Maybe you've been doing the Christian thing by act alone. Maybe you, you know, you, you're doing the things in the church. You're going to the, uh, some of the connection groups. But you would acknowledge today that you just don't know him, but you want that relationship with him. If that's you, without anyone looking around, I want you to raise your hand. No one's looking around, and it does take a measure of courage. God bless you, I see you. And if you're online, we have pastors on there with you. If that was you, and you heard something that touched your life, just throw that in the comments. They're going to pray with you. We're not going to do anything weird. Just going to pray with you. Is there anybody else in this place today? We're going to say this prayer together. Nobody in this house prays alone. Jesus, I give you my life. Forgive my sins. Save me, Lord. Make me new. 
As you have loved me, I choose to love you. I give you my entire life. Fill me with your spirit so I can know you and walk with you, so I can know your goodness, so I can share in your goodness. Thank you for new life. I give mine to you. It's in Jesus' wonderful name that we all pray. Amen. All right, let's give our God praise this morning, church. If you this morning made that decision, the decision to follow Jesus, the most important decision that you can ever make in your entire life, I would love to meet you. I'll be over at the Next Steps area with Pastor Stacy. We'd love to meet you, uh, shake your hand, just talk with you a little bit, pray with you. If you need prayer, also head over there. We'd love to pray over you. Uh, if and I'm aware that it is Fourth of July weekend, lots of cookouts to go to, and you're trying to get out of here, uh, grab a connection card. Fill it out, mark it on the back. I received Christ for the first time today. Drop it in the offering on the way. I will be in contact with you throughout the week. Again, we're going to do this thing as together because we're a family. We're not just an organization. We're not just an auditorium with some seats. We are a family, and we want to walk with you and help you grow. So if it is your first time here, like Pastor Adam says, you are VIPs. We want to know about it. So definitely grab a connection card in the back. Fill it out. Mark it your first time here. Take it out to the info desk. If you go out there and take it to the info desk, we have a free gift for you. Uh, just something small, a little token to commemorate your time here with us today, just to remember us a little bit so you can come next week. Uh, just take it out there, and we would just love just to bless you with that. No ulterior motives. We just want to say thank you. That's all. So at this time, we're going to move into a time of giving. We have several ways to give. They're going to throw some up on the screen back here. And you can be it can be on a kiosk if you are actually still mail things. I think some people still do that. You can grab a tithing envelope. You can mail it in. You can drop it in the offering on the way out. Lots of, like I said, lots of different ways to give. But this is just an opportunity that we can come to the Lord and worship Him with a portion of what He so graciously blessed us with. So uh, if you have any next steps... As something to drop into the offering as well. Again, it's on the connection card. Mark any next steps on the back of that that pertain to you, whether you want to, we talked about with reading plans or connection groups, any of the, those things that you want to get a part of, just go ahead and fill those out and drop it in the offering on the way out. All right, with that, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer over our giving today. Father, thank you so much for the blessings that you've richly given us, Lord. I pray, Lord, that as we sacrificially bring today and give you just, again, that, that portion of what you've so graciously blessed us with, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you bless it to its intended offering or, or uh, intended purpose, Lord. I pray that you use it to touch people that are local and global, that the chains can be loose where they need to be loose so that healing can take place with the broken, Lord, because we know that can happen, Lord. All it takes is faithful giving on our part just so we can trust you to use it, Lord. Yours anyways. Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right. So it is 4th of July. Lots of explosives happening. So this is, I'm just standing up here, responsible adults, saying just be safe out there. Have fun. Enjoy the hot dogs and the hamburgers and all this stuff. You guys have a great weekend. We'll see you next week as we continue with commandment number eight.